inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak. We got one more draft class recap that we're getting to this week. That is this episode, which is the Buffalo Bills. Before we bring our guest in, let's recap what the Bills were able to do during this draft. Didn't have a first-round pick. Their first-round pick, you could say, was Stefan Diggs in the trade from the Minnesota Vikings. So starting off in the second round, they took the bait on A.J. Epinesa, a guy that Ben was pretty high on throughout the season, so I'm sure that he's going to get into that throughout the course of this podcast. Third round, they took Zach Moss. That was pretty good value there. We saw some running backs go ahead of Zach Moss that, man, seems like you read a lot of draft guides. Zach Moss was really high up there, but the medicals just, man, they, they scared a lot of teams away. Buffalo ends up being the team that pounces on them. Fourth round, they went Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver out of UCF. Fifth round, Jake Fromm. This was the Fromm landing spot, finally. The quarterback from Georgia. In the sixth round, they had two picks. Tyler Bass, the kicker from Georgia Southern. And then Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver from Oregon State. This podcast stands Isaiah Hodgins. I'm sure we're going to get into that as well. And then in the seventh round, they picked Dane Jackson, the corner from Pittsburgh. As I bring in the one and only Benjamin Solak. Ben, I want to ask you... What are your thoughts of what the Bills were able to do during this draft? You know, yeah, you ever have those those teams that are like, you know, quietly like de facto your teams just for like certain reasons? Because that's just like I, teams you're a fan of, like for no reason at all, but just like you want to see yes. them succeed. Well, so I love Buffalo because one, I think the Buffalo fan base catches a lot of flack on national Twitter when they're psychos, just like the rest of us, uh, and like as an Eagles fan i recognize and commiserate and empathize with the buffalo fan base and secondly i claim sean mcdermott from his time here in philadelphia uh, i love him to death can you I do use that man. can you do that oh certainly and am i love the gym am i allowed a to claim, jim johnson disciple am i allowed to claim john lynch just because he played in tampa and now he's doing good things he's, okay mcdermott is a branch off the jim johnson tree so i claim sean mcdermott and i love the way he runs that team uh, i love the way brandon bean is drafted so like i love I enjoy rooting for Buffalo. I also think like Josh Allen being good, or at least better than a lot of us thought he was, is objectively hilarious and a lot of fun. Um, so I, I, I very much enjoy Buffalo. I'm happy with the way that they draft. I think they draft well every year. Um, I think they're going to win the AFC East. And well, I'm going to root for them the whole time. Now, to recap this Buffalo Bills draft class, there was only one guy that we were going to get on this podcast, and that is our good friend and colleague over at the Draft Network, Joe Marino, who also hosts the Locked on Bills podcast. Joe, my man, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here. Uh, Ben, first things first, Andy Reid fired Sean McDermott. Mm. Yes. Fired him. Mm. Imagine. Imagine. And then what did we do? We fired Andy, knowing he would win a Super Bowl in Kansas City. (laughs) Listen. You don't get to claim Sean McDermott when Andy fired his ass. I think I, I think I'm on. I think I'm with Joe here. If you get fired, I feel like you can't claim it. The way that you're it's not like you rode off into the sunset like John Lynch. You know what I mean? Or something. Okay. Like see, that. now we're going back to the Lynch thing, and and I get to claim John Lynch. All right. Now I'm totally on board with Joe's logic. Totally on board. Trevor, like Trevor, claims Steve Young because the Bucks could have drafted him but didn't. All right, Trev, you claim way too many people. You have no footing in this conversation, dude. The- I claim Peyton Manning, Bill Polian, the former general manager of the Bills, uh, had Bill, uh, Peyton Manning with the Colts. So. Peyton Manning is a Buffalo Bill. I mean, Dude, it's, this is just how very it simple. works. I don't make the rules. One of the most athletic players of all time. Tampa Bay Buccaneer great. Bo Jackson. That's all I've got to say. And so we're moving on from this. We're focusing on the Buffalo Bills. And, Joe, I just want to ask you right off the bat, 
Was Stefan Diggs worth it? They had that number 22 overall pick. They end up trading that and a couple of other picks for Diggs. Looking at how the draft actually fell and the guys that were on the board at pick number 22, would you have said, man, I'd take Stefan Diggs over any of these guys? Or were there any players still on the board where you thought, oh, man, if we had this first-round pick, it might have helped us if we went this direction? Well, it's interesting that the pick that was made at number 22 overall was the Minnesota Vikings getting Stefan Diggs' replacement in Justin Jefferson. Right, so if the right. Bills were picking at 22, I would have wanted them to pick Justin Jefferson. And so you think about where this Bills team is, and it feels weird to say, but they're primed to make a run. They've got everything in place to go and, and compete in the AFC this year. And the big hurdle that they have to cross is that last year they just didn't score enough points. I mean, only 19 points in an overtime loss to the Houston Texans, who – had a terrible defense last year, and that was a, a microcosm of just not finishing drives, not scoring enough points. Well, the reason they didn't is because I think they needed another weapon in the passing game, and they got that in Stefan Diggs, who's 26 years old. He's on a team-friendly deal for the next four years, and you didn't go out and get a developing player to be your number one receiver. You got a proven, known commodity in the league. Uh, uh, Stefan Diggs is a guy that runs good routes. He's good after the catch. He's very good in contested situations. He wins at all levels of the field. That's the number one receiver that Josh Allen needed to go with John Brown and Cole Beasley. And so when you talk about maximizing the window to go win with Josh Allen and a team that's in good salary cap space uh, situation, but you know, a lot of these young talented players are going to be up for deals very soon. It made a lot of sense to go get a proven commodity to really give yourself the best chance as opposed to trying to give Josh Allen still a developing quarterback, a number one receiver that is a developing wide receiver. And they've done a good job of, of really getting veterans around him on the offensive line as well as that wide receiver. And I think this was the right thing to do. You know, they weren't going to get the CD lambs of the world or the Jerry Judy's or the Henry Ruggs. And in fact, you know, Brandon Bean talked about, it. he says that we would have needed to move up to get one of those big three. And they gave up the, the, the additional picks outside of the first rounder that they gave up for digs would have amounted to about getting up maybe four slots. And I think in that range, right. Nobody was going to move out. If, if they were moving out, then Philly moves up for CD lamb. Probably. So I think that it's one of those deals that he knew he wasn't getting out of 22 in terms of getting up, and um, he went and got a proven commodity to fill the biggest need the Bills had this offseason in, in a number one wide receiver. Sean McDermott of Eagles Lore has always been so good with some of those big defensive ends, right? You had some good development from Shaq Lawson across the course of McDermott's tenure in Buffalo. He got a lot out of Mario Addison and, and, and developed him during his time in Carolina. What is the ceiling for A.J. Epinesa, who's a player who, after we, we saw his final season at Iowa and after we saw his athletic testing, it became clear that he was going to be a limited player. He wasn't going to be a traditional edge. He was going to need to win in more of those big end styles, maybe kick inside occasionally. How good is the fit here with McDermott? And accordingly, what are the expectations for Epinesa, especially for a team that just lost Shaq Lawson but gained Mario Addison in free agency? Well, I think Epinesa wound up going in the right range. Um, maybe he could have went maybe a little earlier in the second round, but I think it was a good value in terms of where he was picked. And I guess the, the thing that I would say about Epinesa and his ceiling is that, you know, obviously I think the, the five was 502 or 507 40 yard dash. It's wasn't great. Pounds, really bad agility scores. I mean, just the, the, the athletic profile was disappointing. He never won on tape at Iowa because he was a good athlete. That was never how he won. He won with power. He won with length. He was able to get the one-arm stab going and get, get underneath pads, lift guys, get on the same level as a quarterback, and, and he's a good finisher. He's got a lot of length. So it never mattered. to. It's not why he wins. And I know we all love these pass rushers that run circles around offensive tackles, but 
Go watch sacks in the NFL. They're not always that, right? A lot of times it is literally just getting on the same level and being able to disengage and having enough length to affect that quarterback. And Epinesa can give you that ability. He just wins in a different way. So, you know, when I think about his ceiling and how he fits on this team, you know, right now they have a situation with Trent Murphy who is under contract through this year, and um, they can pretty much cut him and save a clean $9 million off the cap. So if everyone's healthy going into the season, I think that before the final cuts are made, you'll see Trent Mur- Murphy bumped off this roster, and your top three ends will be Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, and A.J. Epinesa. And you're glad you have Epinesa because Mario Addison's 33, Jerry Hughes is 32. You needed to take – a swing at a young uh, defensive end to add some youth to that position on the roster. And so um, I think this was, was a, was a good move. I I love investing in the trenches. I love investing in edge players. You know, I thought he was going to be perhaps more of a five tech and a three, four, maybe even a compression style. And you think about the guys like the Patriots and the Belichick disciples, like, you know, in Miami and what you see uh, with Detroit, those heavy handed long arm guys that that style of defense where you just compress the pocket and, um, you're not necessarily have a lot of speed as your pass rush, but a lot of power. And I think I thought Epinesa would be more of a fit for those types of defenses based on uh, just their tendencies. But you look at the Bills, they brought in a guy, Quinton Jefferson, from the Seattle Seahawks, who's you know, kind of a hybrid uh, end tackle type guy. And maybe you get that a little bit with Epinesa. Right. I think that what they're trying to do is get more skill sets on the defensive line hmm. so that if they want to do compression-style stuff and do a two-man game, think about a two-man game, game, a twist with Ed Oliver and Epinesa. Like, that's fun. That's a really interesting idea. And I think that it's just about getting a little bit more creative up front and uh, not marrying yourself to, you know, you just have to dust guys around the corner. And, and Epinesa is just not that guy. So I think he can be a starter for the Bills. I think he'll be a quality player. I'm not sure we're going to look back at his career and say, oh, this guy had just Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl and couldn't be blocked in the league. But I think he can fit an important role for the Bills, which is um, which is what you're looking for in a second-round pick. I'm going to be honest. I thought that Jake Fromm was going to go at the back end of day two. I did not expect him to last all the way to round five. And I'll say this too, I didn't expect the Buffalo Bills to be the team that was selecting Jake Fromm, even where they did in that fifth round. I mean, when I look at this quarterback room now, it seems like these guys are polar opposites, Josh Allen and Jake Fromm. I mean, with Josh Allen, the whole allurement is the big stature, the big arm, the mobility. And when you look at Jake Fromm, you think, okay, he's a smaller guy. He wins off accuracy. He's not. He's, he's good in managing the pocket. It just seems like they are so opposite of quarterbacks. Did you think this is a, it, something where you look at it and you go, no, 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 it works for a certain reason? Or were you as confused as some other people were that Jake Fromm ended up being the quarterback that they went for in this draft? No, I thought the Bills would, would draft a quarterback on day three. I thought James Morgan from FIU would, would definitely be in the mix. They did some work on him. I did not expect Jake Fromm to be a Buffalo Bill. I'll be completely honest with you. And I have a difficult time finding a path to the roster for him because they love Matt Barkley. They love Matt Barkley for what he means right. to Josh Allen in terms of game planning and then you know coming off the sideline and just kind of having that even-keeled guy, just the right temperament to deal with the competitor, like a fierce competitor like Josh Allen. It's the right type of person to pair with him. And I don't think Matt Barkley's going to not be the backup quarterback in Buffalo this year. And so that really leads his path to the roster. Jake Fromm's path to the roster is the Bills rostering three quarterbacks. Well, guess what? Under Sean McDermott, they've never rostered three quarterbacks, so much so that they entered 2018 with Josh Allen and Nate Peterman as the only two quarterbacks on the roster. You're going to tell me they're going to find a spot for Jake Fromm? 
I just I, that's my to me it was a throwaway pick because I don't know what his course to the roster is. I don't know what his redeeming qualities are in terms of you know he doesn't have the arm strength that you're looking for. Your playbook is limited, especially for what you're getting out of Josh Allen in terms of arm strength, and he has no mobility. So just not enough redeeming physical traits here, and it matters. You watch him on tape, it matters. And look, if you're looking for a guy to, to just have a quick trigger and throw rhythm passes in a West Coast offense, go get yourself Jake Fromm and, and live with that. But I think for what the Bills want to do offensively, this was a confusing pick to me because it just didn't feel like there's a course to the roster for Jake Fromm unless the Bills keep three quarterbacks. And as much depth is on this team, keeping Jake Fromm over a quality you know, def- rotational defensive lineman or – more depth at linebacker or another corner is a hard pill for me to swallow. I think the most surprising thing uh, for me about the Buffalo draft was the lack of a punter. Joe, thoughts? <laughs> well, listen, I didn't get a punter, but I got a kicker. Right, uh, halfway there. Yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> mad about it. Look, I mean, listen, I wish they would have drafted a punter. They got Kari Vedvik to challenge Corey Borges, and that annoys me because neither one of those guys can control their kicks. They have plenty of leg, but – you look at this this kicker pick, Tyler Bass out of Georgia Southern. Stephen Hauschka, 34 years old. He's missed or he's uh, he's been sub 80 percent of his field goals the last two seasons. That's disappointing in today's NFL where kickers are pretty consistent. So that's a lower mark. And he just doesn't have the distance anymore. You know, he used to be a very good plus 50 yard field goal kicker. He was one of five last year. And you can just tell, I mean, even when he had some longer attempts, it was just a matter of not getting the football there. And so Tyler Bass has all the leg in the world. He can help you on kickoff teams. And you definitely need some competition for Hauschka, who, you know, look, he's, I mean, sub 80% the last two years at 34 years old with a diminishing leg power. I think the writing's on the wall there. And, and look, kicker score points. And the Bills, at this point, they need the little things that, that are going to matter. You don't want to lose football games because you felt like you couldn't hit a 53-yard field goal and you had to go for it on a fourth down or something like that. So I think it's those little things that are going to matter for a team like the Bills that are trying to compete. And uh, giving yourself a chance to upgrade a kicker was a smart move of, uh, for Brandon Bean in the sixth round. want to hear your thoughts on Zach Moss because he was a player that was getting a lot of chatter on Twitter as his slide kind of began on day two. A lot of teams were like, oh, you know, like, let's go get Zach Moss, Zach Moss, Zach Moss. But it was just very clear that the NFL did not trust the medicals on this guy. Buffalo takes the chance at pick number 86 in the third round. Did you like the Zach Moss pickup? Or are you worried about the medicals and kind of wish that they went with a different guy? Well, no, I think Zach Moss is my favorite pick the Bills made in this draft. Um, I mean, they got Devin Singletary in a similar range last year. And I think uh, for the Bills, what they're looking for in that RB2 spot, which is a, a position that touches the football a lot. You look at the last three years in Buffalo, I mean, RB2 touches the football around 150 times a year. So this is going to be a meaningful player. They don't want to just have one guy that is the feature guy. And so – um, they want to have a downhill presence alongside Devin Singletary. And the good thing about Zach Moss is that he's a great downhill runner, but he also can pass protect and catch the football. So you're not limited in those components. And from an economic standpoint, uh, I love having two running backs, your top two backs, third round rookies for the next three years. And I love how that doesn't stress your cap. You're able to deal with extensions that are coming up for, you know, guys like uh, Trey White and Tremaine Edmonds and, uh, you know, you've got the Deion Dawkins, your left tackle, Matt Milano, a lot of big contracts to go out. You don't have to worry about investing all this money and in, in having a good running back because they're they're on rookie deals. And so I love that from the economic standpoint. I love how he compliments Devin Singletary. He checked. He, he cleared medically for the bills. And, and I don't think they would take a chance because they know that role is important. Um, I know he's got some had some stuff to, you know, that with the knee uh, that was re- aggravated one, like getting into bed or something like that. So you, you, you get nervous about that. But. 
it's a spot where, you know, between him and Devin Singletary, who, you know, Singletary came into the league with a lot of touches under his belt as well. And so they need each other. <laughs> they need to be in the backfield together where they can, you know, kind of share the load and, and not take as much of a toll on their bodies and extend their careers. So I like the, what this Bills running back room looks like for the next three years. So my question then for you, you know, Joe, you opened by saying the, the Bills did not have a lot of needs. And then they went and got Stephon Diggs aggressively because that was the biggest need remaining. It sounds like you generally like the way that they approached the draft. So my, my, I guess my question is, what is the, the biggest hole remaining on this roster that you're concerned about? If I tell you the Bills underperform in the 2020 season because, and I ask you to fill in the blank, what's that gap on this roster that maybe you wish they would have addressed in this class? Well, there's a big fundamental difference between my view and the team's view on this. I'm real nervous about cornerback, too. And the team okay. is obviously not because they don't they seem to be very satisfied with their options. Right now, you got Trey White, who's a superstar, number one corner. Opposite of him, you have Levi Wallace, who's a maxed player in the league. He's probably average at best. And when he plays up against a dynamic receiver, he's going to struggle. You have Josh Norman, who hasn't been good in years. 32 years old, uh, never had athleticism to begin with, and he's lost a step. I mean, just getting torched left and right at Washington. Now, mm -hmm. the silver lining there is he's had success with, Matt, with Sean McDermott, but we're talking about 2015. This is 2020. So I have a lot of concerns about Josh Norman actually being able to help the football team. And the other guy is EJ Gaines. Now, if you said EJ Gaines was healthy for 2020, I wouldn't have a concern in the world about cornerback. But EJ Gaines has never been healthy, ever. I mean, multiple season-ending injuries and banged up all the time when he isn't fully out. So I guess they're hoping that one of those, those three guys can stick and you have your answer at cornerback too. But here's the deal with this secondary, with guys like you know Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer at safety with good coverage backers and Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano and one of the best corners in the league and Trey White, CB2 is going to be a popular guy to target. And that guy's going to get picked on a ton. I want a better player than one of those three guys at that spot with the question marks that come with him. So that's that's for me is, is you know, look, Sean McDermott's always made it work in the secondary, whether it's Philly kind of plugging them in with veterans, whether it's Carolina, Buffalo, his secondaries are always great. His past defenses are always great. So it feels weird to be this much of a contrarian in, in terms of, look, they've had opportunities to upgrade CB2 and this is the cast of characters going with. But if you said to me, like, what's going to be the real problem in terms of just a need not being addressed? It's that they're going with that cast of characters at CB2 opposite of Trey White. This is the last question from me. I'm going to touch on the two wide receivers that they picked. Gabe Davis, the wide receiver out of UCF in the fourth round, and then Isaiah Hodgins, the wide receiver from Oregon State in the sixth. It was a very deep wide receiver class, and there was a lot of different types of wide receivers to choose from really on any day of the draft. So my question to you is, we touched on obviously the Stefan Diggs edition at the top, but... Were you comfortable and did you like these picks here, these types of wide receivers that they got where they did? Yeah, I, I think it's the right types of receivers. You, Diggs is the one. And then you have John Brown and Cole Beasley's as your, as your, you know, your two and three. And neither one of those guys are very tall. So what you get here is you get some size in the room. And, and this is one of those deals where last year they didn't have much size at receiver and they sprinkled in Duke Williams uh, from time to time. And, you know, he was hit or miss. And actually, in the playoff game against Houston, Duke Williams was the most targeted wide receiver. Josh Allen is comfortable throwing with a taller to a taller wide receiver. He just needs a good one. And so I think in Gabe Davis, they get a guy that's uh, so six two plus, and he averaged 18 yards per reception last year for UCF. And a guy that, you know, if you want to get him on the vertical plane, have him run, you know, go routes or double moves, he's very, very effective. And so 
Josh Allen, not necessarily the most consistent with his deep ball placement, but you have a weapon here in Gabe Davis that's very good at getting vertical. So hopefully that can help the Bills get better at the deep ball. Obviously, the biggest factor there is Josh Allen being more consistent with placement. Um, so I like the fact that they get a size guy that can get vertical that, in theory, can take advantage of Josh Allen's arm strength. And then Isaiah Hodgins, a guy that I think can, can fill a role that they don't have in terms of a big slot. You know, I don't love Hodgins on the outside and having to beat press coverage, but if we can get him some free releases on the inside, he's got great route running skills and he's got the best hands in the class probably. I mean, the dude just catches everything. So you, you, you don't have the greatest athlete, but you have a good route salesman and good hands that can profile as a big slot and you add another type of receiver that didn't currently exist on the roster. Joe, you get one last question. It's always from me. It's always the same. It is the most important one that we ask. Brace yourself. Put on your big boy pants. The Bills added undrafted free agents just like every team did and just like every analyst that we bring on must. I need from you the one UDFA who will make this roster, 55 men this year because of the new CBA, and why that player will be the one to make the roster. Who do you got? I emphatically tell you that there's a 0% chance any of these UDFAs. <laughs> no, pick one. <laughs> no, d- d- guys, this was the the Bills had absolutely the worst UDFA class I've ever seen. There's not, <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't recognize chance. most of these names. So yeah. There's not a chance. What, the the, 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 the H back guy from like what Marshall or Tulane, Gillis C or whatever, like maybe he has the best chance. <laughs> Trey Adams, the Bills had 11 offensive linemen that were rostered by an NFL team last year, including their own top nine. You think Trey Adams making the football team running just as slow and stiff as he is? Not a chance. There's not a chance one of these UDFA makes the team. I think that that counts as a, as an answer though, Ben, because just no, like No, it doesn't. I've lost see, respect for him. No, because he's he's <laughs> saying that even it, like you're telling him to name you one and he's telling you emphatically that it won't happen. So you can still look back and say Oh, was Joe right or wrong? Because he said that absolutely none of them are going to make the roster. Not a chance. It's almost I like you don't want to establish that. the precedent for this cop out for other <laughs> analysts. It's kind of the, the the approach to the draft that Brandon Bean had. I mean, I don't want to say he had throwaway picks, but I mean, with the Fromm pick, it maybe feels that way where he's just like, I don't think I have enough roster spots, you know, for these rookies. Let's bring Jake Fromm into the building and see if maybe he can succeed Matt Barkley, who's on an expiring contract. And like the UDFAs were a joke this year for the Bills. I don't need to tell you where to follow him. You guys already know at the Joe Marino on Twitter. And then of course, all the incredible work Joe does over at the draft and bill centric stuff over at locked on bills. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Anytime guys. Next up on the podcast, We got a Fan Friday. It is is the first Fan Friday since the draft was over. You know it's going to be great. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.